0: As we jump back into the revelation of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you what we see in chapter 1. John sees a revelation of Jesus. And he describes that revelation of Jesus in all his glory. And I want to point out two key features of that initial revelation of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. One, Jesus is appearing in all his glories And he is amidst seven lampstands. And at the the end of that vision, you see in Jesus' right hand, seven stars. At the end of chapter one, Jesus reveals the mystery as to what the lampstands and the stars represent. And he says the lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is in the midst of these seven churches to whom he is sending a message Of who he is and what he has to say for them. And in his right hand are the seven stars. And the seven stars are the messengers that carry the message specific to the churches. And so Jesus is giving them a picture of who he is so that they might understand who they are. He wants them to understand that the churches are lampstands. That they are like a light set up on a pedestal. So that it gives off light to everyone in the house, kind of like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, but gives light in the darkness. So we here at the Georgetown campus are like a lamp put on a pedestal intended to give light into our community. So our campus in Liberty Hill that's meeting today for the very first time, an incredible launch day. We're so excited they're joining us. They are to be a light, given off light into the community. And so here the church at Sardis, Jesus identified as a lampstand, intended to give off light of the gospel into the community of Sardis. And Jesus has a message for the church at Sardis. A message of life and death proportions. So let's look together at Revelation chapter 3. And let's read through this message to the church at Sardis. Revelation 3, starting in verse 1. And to the messenger, the angel of the church in Sardis, write. The one having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now before we read what he has to say to the church, I want to remind you that we are being alerted to the vision of Jesus, a portion of the vision of Jesus that John sees in chapter one that is relevant to the church at Sardis. So whatever they're going to hear from Jesus, Jesus wants them to first orient their minds and hearts To who he is. Because if they will see who he is, they'll be in a much better position to hear what he has to say. And he reminds them, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God. This is just a phrase describing the Holy Spirit. I have the spirit, the spirit of life. I have exactly what you need. And I have the seven stars. Remember, in my right hand is the messenger bringing the message to you. That means that I hold the message. I protect the message. I deliver the message. So who I am and what I have to say to you is exactly what you need in this moment. You need the spirit of life. And you need this message. Now that they have seen Jesus, he is going to tell them what he has to say that's just right for who they are, where they are, when they are. And he says, I know your works, that you have a name or you have a reputation that is life, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what is remaining and what is about to die. For I have not found your works to be complete before my God. Therefore, remember what and how you have received and what and how you have heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few names in Sardis, a few people in Sardis, which have not stained their garments. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. The one who overcomes in this way will be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, the one who has ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says to the church at Sardis, I know your works. And This sounds very familiar. I mean, it sounds a lot like the previous four letters to the churches in the beginning of those letters, but this will quickly turn into something very different because in the previous four letters to churches, Jesus says, hey, I see what you're doing. I see what's happening. I know what's going on. I know your works. And he has something a little positive to say before he comes in with some encouragement and direction, some corrective measures for the church. Here with Sardis, he has nothing positive to say. He just comes out and says, hey, you guys... Act like you are alive. You have a name that is life. Your reputation, what you want people to know about you is that you are alive. But here's what is true about you. You are more dead than you are alive. Incredible indictments against this church. Who apparently wants to appear alive and Jesus saying you are actually more dead than you are alive and he compels them to wake up he says you make sure that what's still there that what's hanging on to life is revived back to life what's there among you is so close to dying that if you don't act right now you cannot restore death you need to revive right now you need to wake up this is the moment that's critical, that life and death moment where response is possible. If you wait beyond this moment, response will not be possible to bring to life what is about to die for good. I can tell you, oftentimes on Sunday mornings, I think to myself, how many of us are here this morning We do not realize that this moment is a life and death moment? That this is a window that God has carved out in our lives in this moment, right where we are, to give us opportunity to respond to what He's saying. And that opportunity to respond cannot be recovered. You can't back up and recover the moment. And if you don't seize that moment of life and death proportions, you can't come back and get it. And I'm praying that today and our experience together, that we would pay attention to what God says, and that we would be a people that are responsive, because this may be the moment of your response, that you can never recover again. That's what Jesus is saying to the church. I would love if every Sunday we came here and we said, this is a moment that God is so orchestrated that we can't recover it again. We better make the most of it and surrender our lives fully to whatever it is he's saying and whatever he's doing. We need life where there is death, where there's any movement towards something that's not the life of Christ. We need him to work. We need him to revive us. And God, we don't want to miss this moment. That's what Jesus is saying to the church. Don't miss this moment. You're in far greater need than you realize. And I'm the one who has the spirit of life. You need me in my words. Don't miss this moment. Jesus said to the church at Sardis, You got a serious problem. You're dead where you should be alive. The the way you're walking before me is more like death than it is life. Your faith is dead. And he says, Here's the issue your works before God are simply not getting it done. You're not doing what you should be doing if you were as alive in the faith as you say you are. There's a problem with what you're believing. Because I can see that what you're doing doesn't match up to what you say you believe. You're you're far more dead than you think you are because of how you are living right now. Does that sound familiar? Does anybody remember what the brother of Jesus said in his little letter entitled James in our Bible? He says that faith without works is dead. It's like the body, catch this, without the spirit. Jesus is coming to the body at Sardis and he has said to them, I have the spirit. And you are far more dead than you think you are. You need an infusion of life that changes the way you're living. Because the way you're living right now is not congruent with a faith that is alive. James references a story out of the Old Testament when he talks about faith without works is dead. It's a story about a lady named Rahab who lived in a city named Jericho. I don't know if you know about Rahab, but she wasn't um, one of the most upstanding people in the community. She was known. her, Her title, her label was prostitute. She lived in Jericho and Jericho happened to be a city that was going to be taken by God's people according to the promise of God to his people that they would get a land, a promised land. So they're on their way into the promised land and Jericho is a city they're going to take under the judgment of God upon Jericho. And guess what happens? A couple spies are sent into Jericho in order to find out what's going on in the city to gather intel. Come back and make preparations to take the city. And they end up at Rahab's house. I think that makes sense. It's a good house to go to, to maybe gather intel in a form that you wouldn't be easily recognized. A lot of traffic in and out of that house. So they go there, end up there. And guess what happens? Word comes to the king of Jericho that spies have come in to check it out. And they're at Rahab's house. Word comes to Rahab and she decides, listen, I'm not going to give them up. I think this presents an opportunity. So she hides them and says to them, I will not tell them that you're here, but here's the condition. I want my family to be saved from the coming judgment. I believe that what I've heard about your God is true. And I believe that we are going to be destroyed. But here's the thing, if I help you, I want you to ensure me that we will be saved. And, and the spies tell her, if you can gather up your mom and your dad, your brothers and sisters and all your family into your house, then they will be spared. But if you don't get them into your house, they will not be spared and it won't be our problem. We will have done everything we said we're gonna do, but you gotta get them into your house. Now think about this for a second. When the spies leave and Rahab is there, she's beginning to think, how am I going to convince my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, and all their families to come to my house, the house of a prostitute, in order to be saved from a coming destruction? Jericho was a mighty fortress. Why would they think they could be defeated by this ragtag group out of Egypt that were former slaves. Why do we think that this is really going to happen to us? Why would we listen to you, Rahab? Why would they say you'd be saved of all the people? Why do you deserve that? I mean, can you imagine the situation where Rahab has to walk in and convince them she has a short time to do it? She has to be compelling. What does she have to do? She has to believe that salvation will be granted to her if she gets people into her house, they'll be granted to them. And she has to go out and compel them to come in. She acts in accordance with her belief and her belief leads her family to actually come into her house and it happens exactly like they're told. Her entire family is saved because she believed what she was told and she did it. Now we would say that Rahab had the wrong kind of faith if after the spies left she did nothing but hope people would be in her house at just the right time by happenstance. You say, that's a terrible kind of faith. But we say Rahab has great faith because she went out and compelled her family to come and be saved. This is really amazing. Such an unlikely, insignificant, broken woman is used to bring salvation to her entire household. Well, they are saved and she becomes a part of Israel. And guess what? She meets a man named Salmon who takes her to be his wife. And What does that tell us? Rahab's faith in God that compelled her to urge others to come and find salvation in the promise of God's people changed her life. She's not the same person anymore because she believed in God. She marries this man and she raises a son to become a godly man in Israel. So her trust and faith in God translates into her child. And her son grows up to be a man and you know what he does? He decides to marry a foreign woman who comes into Israel Because she believed in the God of Israel and was willing to leave her home and travel with her mother-in-law and take up her mother-in-law's God. And Boaz, Rahab's son, married Ruth, the Moabitess. See, Rahab's life was forever changed. And What's so cool about this story is that Boaz and Ruth have a child named Obed, and Obed gets married and has a child named Jesse, and Jesse gets married and has a child named David, king of Israel. And from the line of David comes Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Insignificant, broken, believes in God, and it shows. And the world is changed. That's living faith. That's what Jesus is inviting the church of Sardis into. Leave behind dead faith that doesn't change your life. That doesn't do anything but give you an appearance of being alive and deceives you so much that you can't see who you really are. Change. Repent. Repent. And this is what he says. He gives them these these series of commands, these life-giving commands. He says, "I want you to wake up. I want you to make sure that you remember How and what it is you received when you came to know Christ. How it is that you heard and what it is you heard when you came to see Christ. And keep that before you. Keep that in your life. Make sure that you're reminded about that. And you need to make sure that as you keep that in the forefront of your mind, you repent. And you quit doing the things that represent death. And you start doing the things that represent life. He invites them to change. Let his spirit work in them so that they're not the same anymore. And their faith in Christ is alive. And he issues a couple of warnings. He issues a warning and then several promises. The warning is, he says, if you you don't wake up, I'm going to come upon you like a thief. Now, if you're the church at Sardis and Jesus sends you a message and says, If you don't wake up, I'm going to come upon you like a thief. You can translate as really bad news. This is not something you want as a church. I'm going to come upon you like a thief and take from you what little life still remains. Because I need my lampstand to shine bright. I need you to be the light in the community where I planted you. I need you to be alive. So he warns them. And all warnings from Christ are measures of grace to us that we would wake up and turn our hearts back to him. And then he gives them a series of promises. Notice he says there are some in Sardis that are alive. And I want all of you in Sardis, the church in Sardis to know that those who are living by faith in me and it shows in their lives, they will walk with me in white. I'm going to wash them clean. They're going to be totally forgiven and brand new. And this is going to happen because they are worthy. Now Jesus tells the church of Sardis, there are some among you that are alive so that everybody's ears would become to attention and say, wait a minute, I want to be like that. I don't want to be dead anymore. And if I think I'm alive, but I'm more dead than I'm alive. And Jesus, you see what needs to change in me. I want to be one of those that you say you're alive. And so Jesus says to the one who overcomes, it's an invitation. It's a promise that functions as an invitation to the entire church, to the one who overcomes. All of you have a chance right now. There's enough of a beating heart of faith in you right now that you can turn around. This is the moment for responding. And if you will respond, guess what? The one who overcomes. Look what he says. This is incredible. He says, the one who overcomes, I will clothe him in white garments. Did you hear that the one who's alive right now is going to walk with me in white? Guess what? If you respond to me right now, I will clothe you in white. And you know what's going to happen? This whole name thing that you got going on? There's only one name that matters. It's my name. And I'm the one who governs the names written in the book of life. And if you want to make sure your name is never eradicated from the book of life, you better turn to me. I'm the one with the spirit of life. I want you to know that if you will trust in me, if you'll be an overcomer, then I will confess you before the Father and before his angels. I will make sure that the Father knows you belong to me. You're mine. In my life, I have given for you. He says, let the one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. So just don't miss this. What is it that Jesus is wanting us to hear this morning? There was a city many, many years ago. It was built on a hill. And the natural geographic features Of the little hill that kind of came up out of a plain was a steep slope on one side of the hill. About 1,500 feet rising up out of the plain. And the city that was built up on that ridge, they built a wall there next to that huge slope. And it created this natural defense of the city so that everybody that was in that city could feel safe against intruders in fact this particular city was said in ancient times to be impenetrable invincible could not be overcome until one day king cyrus of the persians sent his army to seek out a way to overcome this city his men were hiding down below that huge slope just watching and trying to figure out a way how can we get into this invincible city And during the day as they were watching, they saw a watchman on the wall drop his helmet. And it fell down the wall and started to drift down the hillside. After a little while, a guy came out and made his way. And he he climbed down that hill, got his helmet, and then he climbed back up. All the while, the soldiers were watching this happen. And from that learned a way to get up that hill to that wall. Well, that night, they made their way up as best they could all the way up that hill. They'd seen the way. They got to the wall, and much to their surprise, they discovered that at nighttime they didn't post a watchman because they felt like the city was invincible. There was no problem. There was no threat. They got their army over that wall, and they overcame that city. And for years and years to come in regions far beyond that city to accomplish the impossible would be described by the phrase of, that's like the capture of Sardis. Sardis believed they were far better off than they really were. They thought they were safer than they really were. And they failed to post a watchman on the wall and they didn't warn anybody of danger you know what I believe God's message to our church is here in the message to the church at Sardis is that he wants to make sure that we are more alive than we've ever been before and I think our first step in moving that direction is not simply saying we're alive Entrusting our lives to the one who has the spirit of life. To not say, I don't have need of Christ. I'm well, I'm good. All is good around me. No, I need Christ more now than ever. I need his life infused in me and I need him to work his life in and through me for those around me. Here's what Jesus wants us to do this morning. He wants us to remember what it was like when we heard about Christ. And for the first time, our hearts and our minds were awakened to the love of Christ and the change that He could bring in forgiving us of all of our sin, of what it meant to us when we discovered, I will not die and be separated from God forever because of my sin. I will instead live forever in the joy of Christ with the righteousness of Christ because He has forgiven me. He wants us to remember who it is that told us, who it is that came alongside us, who it is that shared with us, and how it is. As we believe that and he wants us to keep that in our minds so that we will be a people who are confessing his name on the city walls of the lives of the people around us you see here's the thing that cannot happen in Williamson County as we're seeking to reach people we cannot simply stand in our lives next to the cities of the lives of those around us and act like there's not a problem There is no more significant evidence of the smell of spiritual death than the unwillingness and the inactivity of the church of God to share with people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, the saving message of Jesus Christ. Do you know when Jesus says, I'm going to confess you before my father, that that's an echo out of Matthew's gospel when Jesus says, if you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my father. Do you hear that echo of Jesus saying, the life I want to bring to you is the life that results in you sharing the message of hope to a world that would otherwise be without hope. The life that I want to bring out of you that your world needs is the life of the message of the gospel because the one who will be confessed before the father is the one who readily and regularly confesses the truth of Jesus Christ to the world in which they were placed I want to be alive I don't want to hear Jesus say to me you're actually more dead than you are alive you like to think that you're alive but you're not doing so hot but I want to revive you and the greatest evidence of me reviving you will come as you remember what I've done to you. And saving you and rescuing you. As you remember that it took someone coming alongside you to tell you how to come to Christ or you to never come. You remember that it took a certain set of circumstances that involved a lot of people that cared enough to do the uncomfortable and tell you about Jesus. And all of a sudden, you feel alive. Yes, I want to be that person that's on the wall of the city of my neighbor's life and be crying out, there is a problem. And the solution is Jesus. He is our rescue. Do you remember who brought you to Christ? Do you remember who told you? Don't you hold that person in great esteem in your own heart? Doesn't that evoke great thankfulness in you? Does Christ's work in your heart not cause you in this moment to aspire to be that person for someone else? Life. Don't you want to be alive? You know, in all the great revivals of the past, where God's people come alive. Where they are moved in their spirits to spiritual fervor and faithfulness. To obedience and holiness. Do you know what characterizes the life of God's people in revivals of history? Do you know what it is? Awakenings. You know what an awakening is? Awakening is when many people come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because God's people are so alive they cannot contain the message of the gospel. I want us to be alive like that, don't you? What a shame it will be for our community if we think we're alive, but we fail to share the gospel. May this moment of life and death proportions, see an appropriate response from each one of us. Jesus is here. He has the spirit of life. And he is who we need.